I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning as we open God's Word, as we ask the Lord to speak to us through His Word. And the promise is that God's Word will not return void. It will accomplish everything that God intends for it to accomplish in our lives. And so as we dive into Genesis chapter 3, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis so far. This is message number four. As we've looked at what happened at the very beginning, what does it look like for God to create and for God to design us in a certain way and for God to expect us and ask us to worship him with all of our lives? What does it look like? And then this morning, what does it look like when all that goes awry? And so this morning, we're going to unpack Genesis chapter 3 together. And as we do that, I want to ask you this question. So I want you to ponder with me just a bit and don't answer out loud. But what do you think is the greatest problem that we face in this world? Now, if you watch news, which is not really a good idea, just put that out there for you. If you watch the news, you'll hear any number of things that are the pressing issues of the day. Like if we could solve this problem, everything else would be fine. Some people say it's an education problem. If we could just get people the right access to education, that would solve everything. Some have said it's climate change. That's the greatest problem. If we can fix that problem, everything else will be okay. There's other ideas that are floating out there of things that if we could just solve this one one problem, it would fix everything. And then we look at what scripture has to say. And what we see in God's word is that there is a very serious problem that exists in this world. It's not an education problem. It's not a climate change problem. It's not a who's in political power problem. The problem that scripture paints for us that exists in this world is a sin problem. Sin is the problem that exists in this world. Now, if the scriptures were silent about how to solve that problem, we'd all be in a mess. But it's not. In fact, God's word is very, very clear. That there is one solution to the sin problem that exists in our world. And that solution is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. The sin problem that exists in our world, that exists in our lives personally, is solved by Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, what we just sang about a minute ago. So this morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 3 together, I want you to keep that in your frame of reference as we consider the greatest problem that exists in this world is the problem of sin and the greatest solution that exists in this world is Jesus Christ. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's Word records. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want to invite you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together. It's what I mentioned earlier as we were introducing this passage of Scripture, and it's this important truth. Our greatest problem is sin. 
and our greatest hope is Jesus. Very simple this morning, if you walk away with nothing else, walk away with that truth that your greatest problem and my greatest problem and humanity's greatest problem is the problem of sin. And our greatest hope is Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, the salvation that He provides to us through His shed blood on the cross. As we look at the text together this morning, I want us to focus in on four truths that we see that the text highlights for us. And the first one we see in verses 1 through 7 this morning, and it's this truth. God establishes the framework for an abundant and a meaningful life. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, we've been walking our way through these first chapters in the book of Genesis. And what we've seen God do in the first chapters is speak creation into existence. And then we saw God create Adam and Eve. We saw the care that He chose to do that. The design that was perfect that He created them. And God gave them a command and said, walk in relationship with Me. Do these things and experience the abundant life that is only found in a relationship with Me. See, the truth is for us as we gather here this morning, abundant life, meaningful life is not found in our possessions as much as you may want a red Ferrari. It's not found in a red Ferrari as much as you want it in a large bank account. It's not found in that as much as you may want to find meaning and purpose in life in relationships. It can't be found ultimately in that. Ultimately, for every single one of us, The greatest longing of our heart and the only thing that will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart is a relationship with our Creator. God created us to have a relationship with Him. And what we see played out in verses 1 through 7 of Genesis chapter 3 is the very first people, Adam and Eve, in the garden choosing instead of walking in obedience to the Lord, instead of enjoying a relationship with Him, they chose instead to reject what God desired for them and to walk in direct opposition to what God had said. I want you to notice how it plays out beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. What we're going to see take place is that Satan simply embodies the serpent here and gives these words to Eve in the garden. So Satan is the great deceiver. Satan, whose very arch enemy of God, desires nothing less than to knock every single one of us off course, to get us to worship ourselves instead of worshiping God. And here, that's exactly what's about to take place. God had given Adam and Eve a command. It said, walk with me. Enjoy a relationship with me. In fact, God had created all of the trees in the garden, even the tree of life that Adam and Eve could eat from and live forever. And God said simply, there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, don't eat of that tree. But notice what we see take place. The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say? I want you to hear me this morning. At the beginning of every single temptation that comes our way is this question. Did God 
actually say? The question Satan asks Eve in this moment is, did God actually say this? Is this really God's plan and God's design? Is this really the way God says He is worshipped in obedience? Is this really what God said? I want you to know that's the same thing that holds true in your life and my life. That the question that is posed to us at the beginning of every temptation that comes our way is, did God actually say? Will you walk in obedience to what God says, or instead of God being God, you place yourself in the throne of your heart and say, I know better than God? doesn't matter what area of life it is that God's Word specifically highlights for us as we talked last week about the issue of marriage. Did God actually say this about marriage? When we talk about pride, did God actually say this about pride? When we talk about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, did God actually say that? At every single temptation, every single point to lead us away from the Lord, that will be the question that you and I must answer. It's impossible to answer that question if we don't actually know what God's word says. Which means for you and for me, this should be our lifeline throughout life to ask, what has God said? And then how do I walk in obedience to what God has said in his word? For Adam and for Eve in this moment, Satan asks the question, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but verse 3, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. If you go back and look, God had given Adam a simple command, eat of every tree in the garden, one tree you're not to eat of. Because when you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. What we see in the text and what we see played out is that that death is both physical death and spiritual death. That as soon as Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, in that moment they guaranteed two things. One, their relationship with God was shattered in that moment and it would take some drastic measures for it to be redeemed once again. And number two, they would die physically as well because we see at the end of Genesis chapter 3 that God puts them outside the garden which is where the tree of life was that they could eat and live forever. In this moment, Eve says, we can eat of the fruit of the trees. We just can't eat of this one tree. I don't know if you notice, but she adds a little bit to what God had told Adam in Genesis chapter 3 or Genesis chapter 2. She says, and we can't touch it. I'm sure Adam, when he was relaying what God said to Eve, he just kind of added that in there a little bit. We do that with our kids sometimes, right? Like, here's what we don't want them to do, and so we set the fence a little bit further out, right? Don't even get close to that. In this moment, that's exactly what Eve says here to the serpent. Notice verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Notice that the serpent's question initially is, Did God actually say this? He follows that up when she says, yes, God actually said that. He says, God's a liar. 
In fact, he's going to lay out here, God is holding back from you what he knows you would really want if you could have it. I want you to notice that that's the exact same thing that we see playing out in our own lives and in our culture as well. The people's conversation is, if this makes me happy, then certainly I should be able to do this. Even if God's word says I can't. So in that moment, we end up becoming God, and God is not God in our lives any longer. Here, serpent says, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan says to Eve, God's holding out on you. God knows that when you eat of this, you're going to be just like God, and God doesn't want you to be like God. Now, God's already told Adam and Eve before that once they eat of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that they will die, they will recognize and understand what it means to no longer be in a right relationship with God. Satan has twisted and deceived Eve in this moment, offering this up to her. Notice verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, those three things outlined in verse 6 are the three temptations that you could describe every single temptation in your life. It's either the lust of the flesh I want to satisfy myself and have this. It's the lust of the eyes. I see this and I want it for myself. Or it's the pride of life. This is what I need to find significance for myself personally. So in this moment, Eve looks. She sees all of that in this piece of fruit that God has said, don't eat of it. And it says that she took of its fruit and she ate. Notice this next part. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. We've not encountered Adam yet in Genesis chapter 3 until that moment. And we find out that as this interaction between Eve and the serpent is taking place, that Adam very much was standing right there. He was with her. Let me just press in a little bit, men. Instead of manning up in this moment and stepping in front of Eve and saying to the serpent, let's go, he steps back. Doesn't interact whatsoever. Doesn't interact to protect his wife. Doesn't interact to say, I'm the one that the Lord had given this command to. Here's what God has said. And we're going to walk in obedience to that. He doesn't do that. He simply steps back. And he joined her in eating of this fruit. Notice verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew, notice what it says here, that they... We're naked. Something in this moment, when they took of the fruit, changed. Shame entered the picture in their lives at this moment. Sin entered the picture in their lives at this moment. In this moment, they recognized that they were separated from God because of sin, the choice that they made to walk in disobedience to Him. 
Notice their response. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You got to think in this moment, they are thinking, we can fix this. We can fix our sin problem by covering ourselves up with fig leaves. Tell you a little story that may illustrate this for you a bit. When I was about seven years old, my parents tell the story. I was sick one night, and we're not close to lunch, so you'll be fine. I got sick one night uh, while I was asleep and ended up throwing up in my bed. And it was on me, it was on the sheets and, and everything. And not really knowing what I was doing, I got out of the bed, recognizing I had throw up on me, and I thought, I need to change clothes. So I walked over to the dresser, and I opened up the first drawer, and I threw up in the first drawer. Close the drawer, go down a drawer, open that drawer up, throw up in that drawer. Had six drawers that were there, and I threw up in all six of them. Who's hungry? I tried to clean myself up, and I ended up making the thing worse. That's exactly what we see here with Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned, and they tried to fix it themselves. They tried to clean themselves up. Instead of running headlong to the Lord and asking God's forgiveness, it doesn't say that they did that. They tried to cover it up. Our temptation when we sin is the exact same thing. Instead of coming to the Lord who is ready to receive us with open arms and offer forgiveness to us, instead we try to clean ourselves up. You may have come into church today for the very first time because you thought you have to get your life together before you can show up at church. And I want you to hear me this morning. You can't get your life together enough to show up here. None of us can So on what basis do we gather together on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us? Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves up. What God had intended for them to give meaning and an abundant life, a relationship with Him, they chose to disregard that and to go their own way. I want you to notice, though, as we go from verses 8 through verse 13, that God, even after Adam and Eve choose to disobey him, that God pursues them even in their sin. I want you to hear me this morning. God still does that for us. God pursues us even in our sin. The Word tells us that God so loved the world The world that was filled with sin, so much so that he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to lay his life down so that we could be forgiven of our sin and brought back into a right relationship with God. Notice, he says in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, notice, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now think about that for just a second. You ever played hide and seek? You know who you don't want to play that with? God. 
God who is omnipresent everywhere all at once. You're not going to win the game. God knows exactly where you and I are. And as much as we may want to do exactly what Adam and Eve did here, to hide ourselves from the Lord, God sees us. He sees us in our sin. And instead of pushing us away, He pursues us, offering to us salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. God saw Adam and Eve. He called out to them in verse 9, Where are you? And He said... Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam, in this moment, simply says, God, I'm ashamed of what I've done. And I'm trying to hide myself so that you won't see me in my sin. Verse 10, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. God already knew the answer. But for every single one of us, we need to come to a point in our lives where we own our sin before the Lord. Where we say, God, I own this. It's not somebody else's fault. Notice what happens beginning in verse 12. Adam and Eve begin the blame game. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. God says, Adam, what did you do? Adam says, it's her fault. She gave me the fruit. And did you notice the little dig against the Lord right there? The woman whom you gave to me. I wouldn't be in this problem, Lord, except you gave me this woman. Don't, don't elbow your spouse here. Adam in this moment tries to shift the blame to Eve. Now Adam, what we know the scripture tells us is that Adam should have taken the lead spiritually in his home and stood up to the serpent as the temptation came, but he didn't do that. He stuck back and then he seeks to blame Eve and God because of the situation that he's in because of his sin. Then the Lord God said to the woman, verse 13, what is this you have done? Notice Eve's response. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Eve says, not my fault either. It's the serpent's fault who deceived me. Hear me this morning. The temptation for every single one of us in our sin is to try and blame someone else for the choices, the decisions that we've made to go against what God has said. Even in that, God pursues us. I want you to notice the third truth we see beginning in verses 14 through 19. God provides consequences for Adam and Eve's sin, but he also promises to send a Savior. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Says to the serpent, to Satan in this moment, this isn't going to turn out well for you. It's not going to work. 
You're going to seek to do everything you can, even when Jesus Christ is on the cross, thinking that you've accomplished everything that you meant to accomplish. And the problem is, on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead and crush your head. The promise we see in Genesis 3.15 is a gospel promise. It is that a Savior is coming. A Savior is coming who will make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. You may have come in this morning, you wonder what is the hope that you have been looking for. That is outlined for us in Genesis 3.15. That hope that you desire is only available through salvation in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the consequences that he lays out in verse 16 for Eve. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Ladies, it's her fault. There it is, right? When I was, well, let's just be honest. I'm not super smart. And um, when our oldest was being born in the hospital, I was right beside the bed, and I looked at my wife, who was in labor for many hours, and I said, listen, um, sitting here in this chair beside the bed, I I just got to get up and walk around, my back's hurting. (laughs) Hence, not the smartest guy, right? But here what we see that for Eve, it's laid out for her that for her and all of the ladies that follow who have children, there will be pain in childbearing. That's one of the consequences of her sin. I want you to notice the connection for that because God had already outlined for Adam and Eve his desire and his purpose for them, and that was to have children to multiply and to fill the earth. God's plan and God's design, God's purpose for them, it's in that that she would experience great pain. It says following that, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Conflict within marriage outlined right there. God's design, God's plan, God's purpose was for Adam and Eve to flourish, to fill the earth, to multiply. And we see that consequences of sin is that that now becomes difficult. Notice what he says in verse 17 to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not only had God said to Adam and Eve the Desire is that they would multiply and fill the earth, but he also says that they would subdue it, that they would have dominion over it, that they would steward God's creation in such a way that things would grow and plants would blossom and animals would enjoy being able to feed off the grass that was there. But here the problem is, God says, now Adam, it's going to be hard. 
It's going to be difficult for you now. It's not going to be easy any longer, but you're going to actually have to work in such a way that you are going to sweat. Pastor Scott, we talked last week. He said, that's my verse, man. But here, what we see is that what God intended for them, His purpose for them now is going to be difficult because of the effect of sin in their life. The great hope that we have is that our sins can be forgiven through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the fourth truth we see in verses 20 through 24. It's this, that God extends forgiveness and enables Adam and Eve to walk with him again. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Notice verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve had tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves, but God in this moment for them extends forgiveness for their sins on the basis of the sacrifice of an animal there in the garden. Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So what we see God do in verse 21 here sets the course for what we see throughout the Old Testament and the Old Testament sacrificial system, which finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus' blood shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could experience the blessing of walking in relationship with the Lord. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, unless he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden The tree of life that we see here was the mechanism whereby Adam and Eve could live for all eternity there in the garden and the Lord pushes them out. No longer will they be able to take of the tree of life and live, but what we see played out in the scriptures is that ultimately our salvation is found not in a tree of life, but in Jesus Christ. That for us, When we trust in Him as our Savior, our sins are forgiven in that moment and we experience life both now and for all eternity. We see here just the glimmer of hope of if you are a follower of Jesus, what you've experienced through His sacrifice on the cross. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a bit. As we have an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning, I have no doubt that there's someone here this morning who has never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. Has not had their sins forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross his resurrection, securing salvation for you. I want to encourage you this morning, don't let today go by 
without receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ today. You can't solve your sin problem on your own. We see that clearly this morning. It is only solved by a relationship with Jesus Christ who shed blood on the cross makes it possible for us to have our sins forgiven, to be brought into a relationship with Him. If you need to take that step this morning, we'd love to help you take that step. If you have questions about that, I encourage you to fill out a connection card and ask to speak with one of the pastors. We'd love to get in touch with you this week and share with you what it means to take that step. Maybe you're ready to take that step now. We'd love to help you do that. As we sing in just a moment, you simply respond. Come and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and just say, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. If you are here and a follower of Jesus this morning, I just want to remind you of what He's done for you, of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who's made it possible for our sins to be forgiven and the great task that's laid before us to share that hope with every single person we meet in this community. God, we ask right now that you would work in our hearts and our lives for those that are far from you that have never taken that step. Give them the courage today to take that step. Father, for the believers gathered here this morning, encourage our hearts today. Remind us of the great hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We ask that in His name. Amen. I want to ask you, if you would, to stand, give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. We'll be down front. If we could pray for you, we'd love to do that. And then after we sing, we'll celebrate communion together as a church family. But you respond as the Lord leads.